Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, we have bad, we have crazy martinis for you today. Glad you made some time for us. Your stool is ready in this uh, busy week leading up to Christmas and uh, the holiday break for, uh, I'm sure, uh, many of us. And so, Jim, it's also a good time to remind everyone that today and tomorrow are our final normal editions of the Three Martini Lunch for the Year. Starting on Christmas Eve, Friday, and all of next week, we're going to be bringing you our six year-end specials of Three Martini Lunch Awards for a variety of categories from the year in politics and beyond. Uh, Starting on Friday, it will be most overrated, underrated, and honest political figures. Beyond that, we'll talk about good ideas, bad ideas, political theater, and then eventually on New Year's Eve, we'll get to our person of the year, turncoat of the year, and our predictions for 2022. But uh, the news cycle, not exactly quiet here leading up to Christmas. So uh, we've got plenty to talk about, but let's talk about our good news first, of course. And uh, this is courtesy of uh, the Free Beacon, but they got their information from the Census Bureau which on Tuesday, Jim, reported that people in this country are leaving blue states and moving to red states. According to the Census Bureau, Washington, D.C., which is not a state, uh, lost almost 3% of its population in 2021. Meanwhile, Idaho uh, gained by nearly 3%. Also, New York experiencing the second largest decline in population, 1.6%, although I would argue 1.6% of New York is a lot more than 3% of D.C., but math aside, uh, followed by Illinois at 0.9%, Hawaii Imagine leaving Hawaii, 0.7%, and California, 0.7%. Meanwhile, the states that grew, Utah by 1.7%, so did Montana. South Carolina by 1.2%, followed by Texas at 1.1%, and Florida at 1%. And again, those last two states, a 1% growth. Pretty significant. Uh, So, Jim, they're fleeing tax rates. They're fleeing crazy uh, regulations, needless lockdowns. In a lot of situations, they like freedom. They like low taxes. Uh, and we only have one request, right? If you're going to move to the nice states, vote the way that got these states nice in the first place. Yeah, don't. If you decided to leave a state because you didn't like the policies that were enacted by the idiots running it when you left, don't vote for the people who are going to enact the same policies in the new place where you are. You know, New Hampshireites had this complaint about Massachusetts. Half the states in the West have this complaint about uh, Californians. Now, we should point out that, you know, people don't only move because of government policies and tax rates. Lots of older people prefer to retire in warmer climates. That's why they call Florida God's waiting room. Um, People get tired. Yeah, lots of people actually get tired of cold winters and shoveling snow and school closures and uh, all kinds of stuff like that. So generally, you know, they grow up in a place like Minnesota or something like that, or maybe New England. They're like, oh, that's it. I've had it. They end up spending, you know, they want to be in a warmer climate. And that's why for really going back maybe even two generations. Some of the fastest growing cities in the country have been, you know, regions like Charlotte, Atlanta, uh, certain places in Texas, certain places in Florida. They've just been booming because, hey, you know what? The weather is nicer. It's, you know, nicer. But they start realizing, oh, well, there's no state income tax here. Oh, that sounds really good. The other observation about this is that it's not just for a long time, conservatives have contended that people people hate high taxes and always move away. Well, New York still exists. California still exists. Lots of people still live in places like Chicago. It is not simply that people will, you know, hate. it's not that everyone hates high taxes and will move away if taxes get too high. 
But they, everyone does have their tipping point. And my general sense, the other thing is that if people will pay for higher taxes if they feel like they're getting really good government services. But if they feel like they're getting bad government services, if the cities have high taxes and high crime rates, and they have schools that aren't that good, and you feel like you have to send your kids to private school in order to ensure they'll get a good education. Well, all those factors together suddenly make the city a terrible place to live. And all of a sudden, wait, I, I just... I'm not getting enough. And yes, it's really nice that, you know, Southern California has, you know, really nice weather or New York has all these great cultural attractions or Chicago has a million and one great restaurant. Yeah, that's all nice. But, you know, one, first of all, in terms of local taxes, you can move out to the suburbs and get a lot of the same benefits and go into the city and not have to uh, pay the city tax rates. And then the second thing is, you know, there are other nice things in these low tax states, the rest of the country, too. And I think what we're seeing, it's not an overwhelming wave. It's not, you know, sudden shift, just a percentage point here, a percentage point there. But I think what you do see in a bunch of these biggest, these, you know, deep blue states that generally have big cities and have traditionally been some of the biggest places in the country, i.e. California, New York, Illinois, New Jersey, places like that is that a certain amount of arrogance in the governing class is, is driving people away. A certain sense of, oh, what are you gonna do? Move out to you know, Alabama? What are you gonna do? Move out to the Midwest? Well, yeah, it turns out there are lots of nice places like that. And if, you know, then along comes the pandemic and all of a sudden maybe you don't wanna be in a really densely packed city. Maybe being a city that is an international hub for trade and travel isn't such a great thing with these viruses going around. Maybe you kind of like the idea of having a place out in the country or having a yard, your kids wanna have a place to run around and maybe the idea of not dealing with traffic every single day uh, starts to become really appealing. So, you know, a whole bunch of you, when you see an exodus from these parts of the country, Maybe these people who assume that the policy choices would never spur people to vote with their feet, guess what? In some cases, they are. And all of a sudden, you have fewer taxpayers. All of a sudden, you have fewer people who want to live in your places. I think every place where you're seeing an exodus at a time when our population is still growing, it's not growing anywhere near the way it used to, really unnerved about the drop in the birth rate. But all in all, like places in this country should be growing. And if they're not, I think the people who are running them, in many cases, Democrats, in many cases, very liberal, hard left, progressive Democrats have to look in the mirror and say, what the heck are we doing? And if our policies are driving people away, why are we continuing them? All right. Let's talk about our fabulous sponsor for the day, at least our first sponsor for the day. And that is Moink. Yesterday, I told you that Mrs. Karumbas was excited about cooking the whole chicken from the Moink box for our dinner last night. I am pleased to tell you it turned out just amazing. She used a great uh, rub of herbs and so forth on there, but the chicken was tender and it was juicy and uh, came with the sides, of course, and just fantastic all the way around. Uh, Moink box, whether it's the steaks, uh, whether it's the salmon, uh, whether it's the bacon, how could I forget the bacon? You're always going to get a quality product when you go to moinkbox.com. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon direct to your door, helping family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture. Their animals are raised outdoors, their fish swim wild in the ocean, and moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, and all the other junk you find prepackaged in the meat aisle. Sign up at moinkbox.com martini to get a year of ground beef for free, and then pick what meats you want delivered with your first box. Change what you get each month, and you can cancel anytime. Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash martini right now, and listeners to the Three Martini Lunch get free ground beef for a year. That's one year of the best ground beef you'll ever taste, but for a limited time, that's spelled M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash martini, moinkbox.com slash martini.
All right, Jim, our bad martini comes to us from a Twitter thread, as well as some other uh, information that you include in today's Morning Jolt, but I think it was yesterday's Twitter thread that you that certainly raised your eyebrows uh, from a guy named Dmitry Alperovich, who you describe in the Jolt today as a Russian-born U.S. computer executive and co-founder of the cybersecurity firm CrowdStrike, who in a very detailed thread went through why he thinks, regardless of what the Biden administration or other countries or the UN have to say, Russia is absolutely bent on invading Ukraine in the coming year. He says the type of uh, troop buildups we're seeing on the border, you don't do that just for exercises. It's just a massive, massive buildup. Uh, he says, given the Russian timetable, uh, it could probably be in the spring because they don't want to be there come summertime. And he also talked about the diplomatic maneuvers, the increasingly uh, short timetable the Russians are giving, the outrageous demands and their uh, increased uh, description of the U.S., the U.N., Ukraine, and everyone else as not being serious about actually trying to resolve uh, the crisis. All things you would expect uh, leading up to a flimsy pretense for actually launching military action. Now, in the jolt today, you find other folks who think this is more of a, a feint than something that's actually likely to happen. But there is a fierce debate on this. So where do you think we stand right now? Look, I, I would not want to bet a lot of money on this being a feint. I would not want to stake the NATO alliance and continued stability in Europe on this being a feint. Uh, just a little bit, of, you know, background on Dmitry Alperovich. And I'll look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I was not terribly familiar with him beforehand, but you probably may have heard uh, of CrowdStrike before. They were one of the firms that was involved investigating the, you know, Sony Pictures hack back in 2014. Uh, a couple of the DNC hacks, the Russian hacking of the email leaks of uh, Podesta and things like that. CrowdStrike was one of the firms that was investigating that. If you recognize that name, that's probably where you recognize it from. Um, and look, so this is a guy who follows what's going on in Russia pretty closely, follows their cyber attacks, follows the ransomware and issues like that. And he lays it all out. And it's, it's pretty comprehensive. If you don't buy into it, um, there's this group for the Atlantic Council is this big think tank that specializes in US-European relations, as you kind of guess from the name. Uh, they have a site called the Digital Forensics Research Lab. And one of the things they do is they scan both satellite photos that are recently taken and uh, social media, uh, open source intelligence, you might say, all across Russia. And they try to see what's going on. And they've just, you know, they detail all of these troop movements going on. And it's just on a really large scale. Could this be a feint? Could this be saber rattling? Could this be something? Yeah, it could. But at some point, the sheer mass of it starts to turn into this. No, this is this is what you do if you're preparing for an invasion. And yeah, maybe Putin just wants to get some concessions before an invasion. And maybe at some point he'll decide he's won enough and the troops will go home and everything will turn out fine. But I don't think we should necessarily bet on that. And again, these are all the moves you would make if you were genuinely going to invade. Um, and this isn't even getting into issues like you know the use of cyber war cyber warfare and things like this. The other thing, the other, the other thing, two factors I think you really got to keep in mind. The first is uh, some of the rhetoric from Putin. Like again, this is going to be very tough for him to climb down from. Um, between this, I mean, probably the thing that really was eye opening was the Russian defense minister, a man named Sergei Shoyu. Uh, who gave a speech in front of Putin in which he claimed that U.S. mercenaries were preparing the Ukrainian special forces and radical armed groups to active hostilities, and they had delivered an unidentified chemical component in the region to commit provocations. It's, yeah, as far as anyone can tell, this is absolute nonsense, but this is basically the sort of thing you say before you say, well, as a precaution, we had to invade and take over in order to stop this provocation, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know 
where he's, you know, where he's getting this kind of thing. But also you're seeing the same kind of false rumors of U.S. troop movements and U.S. preparing to strike on Russian social media and things like that. Somebody wants Russian people to believe that the U.S. and NATO are preparing an attack. That's the sort of thing you do if you want your public to be on board with military action going across the border. Um, and I just kind of generally look at the general geopolitical situation of energy prices are very high right now. That is when Vladimir Putin and the Russian government has their most leverage. Uh, we haven't even started the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which is going to bring natural gas from Russia to Germany. Clearly, the Germans are not interested in canceling that project. They're very eager to see it get started. Um, you know, if you're... Uh, Europe does not want to have this fight right now. I don't think the American people certainly don't want to give up a, a single drop of blood or pay much in treasure in terms of doing this. And it's extremely likely that, you know, I think Putin thinks if I take a big, you know, he's not going to take all of Ukraine. He's not going to, you're not going to see Russian tanks necessarily rolling into Kiev, but there's been this, um, this river that kind of runs north and south, kind of splitting the country, the Dnieper. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And basically, it kind of splits East Ukraine and West Ukraine. And, you know, the eastern part of Ukraine has always been culturally and ethnically and linguistically much closer to Russia. And Western Ukraine has always been uh, culturally, ethnically and linguistically much more independent. And so I wonder if Russia's, I wonder if Putin's looking at this and saying, look, I don't need Ukraine. I just want to take half Ukraine. And how much would NATO really be willing to do if I did that? And, you know, I think the uh, you look at the state of U.S. leadership right now. I think you look at the current uh, the, the message we sent to the world with the you know god awful mess that was the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the talk of the pivot to Asia and all that. I think Vladimir and Vladimir Putin's getting up there in years. He's thinking a great deal about his legacy right now. He's probably five years more, four years in power, ten more years in power. You know how long is this guy going to be around? So he's probably thinking this is the best opportunity he's going to have to, you know, in his mind, reclaim what was used to be part of the Soviet Union and take control of a big chunk of, of Ukraine. Is it going to happen? I have no idea. I, I do think that the, the evidence for him, this not being mere sable rattling is starting to stack up. And I think that NATO and the West and in particular, President Biden look particularly weak in response to this. And look, there are a whole bunch of tools we have that really could strike much closer to Putin. I don't mean violently and kinetically and with bombs. I mean, in terms of his personal fortune, in terms of our ability to, uh, let's just say the door, the door of cyber warfare swings both ways. We, we have ways to make life in, in Moscow very difficult if we want to. And we could do that in response to Russian military action if we wanted to. I don't know what kind of signals this administration has been sending, but it certainly doesn't seem to have had much of a deterrent effect so far. So. We'll see how things go, Greg, but uh, I have this nagging feeling that 2022 is going to begin um, with a serious foreign policy crisis sometime before winter ends. And like you said, given the Biden administration's performance in Afghanistan and elsewhere this year, uh, not a lot of reason for optimism that it will handle it well. Like you said, also, we don't know exactly what sort of sticks it mentioned to Putin in that recent uh, conversation between uh, Biden and Putin. But uh, according to reports, Shortly after that meeting, where uh, we heard that Biden was so tough on Putin, we also heard that the Biden administration's idea was potentially just for Ukraine to give up some of its land uh, to Russia to avoid uh, potential uh, armed conflict. And as we know from Munich in 1938, Jim, whenever you just give away land to people who want it, that satisfies them. They never want more. Greg, land for peace always works. <laughs> when has that never worked out well for the party giving up land? It's almost like it's an incentive to be on worse behavior, but uh, apparently nobody gets that. If you're a ward wrongdoers, they always decide, okay, that's enough. I'll be nice now. <laughs> History is full of these examples. 
If you're not a history student, I hope you know we're kidding. Okay. (laughs) In the meantime, you know, we got volatility on the world stage. Doesn't mean there has to be a ton of volatility in your investment portfolio, though. Uh, You know, Wall Street, a little bit up and down, still mostly uh, heading in a good direction. But uh, the current administration, you know, they want to raise your taxes. They're pandering to China. They were clueless about inflation. They still aren't fully ready to admit that it's happening or why it's happening. But let's look at a time when things were a little more financially stable, you know, like a couple of years ago. Uh, that's why Universal Coin and Bullion is offering a one ounce pure silver tribute coin featuring America's 45th president, Donald J. Trump, at their cost. You will get a pure one ounce silver coin featuring former President Trump at the same price that Universal Coin buys it from their vendors. Throughout history, silver and gold have been a hedge against inflation and a guaranteed asset that you can turn to when times are uncertain. And with the President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, uh, uncertainty does not seem like it's going to be going away anytime soon. So diversify your portfolio and add a pure silver Trump coin to your investments now. And the postage is free. Call Universal Coin at 1-800-UCB-GOLD. That's 1-800-UCB-GOLD. Their professional staff is led by America's gold expert, Dr. Mike Fulgens, and they're all waiting for you to call them at 800-UCB-GOLD to get your pure silver President Trump tribute coin at dealer's cost. All right, Jim, let's move to our crazy martini now. And speaking of President Biden, he gave his uh, much-awaited Omicron speech from the White House yesterday saying, no, it's not March 2020, but, uh, you know, basically get vaccinated. And if you haven't, get vaccinated, get your people vaccinated over and over and over again. Uh, He actually did give the Trump administration credit for developing the vaccine and getting testing uh, underway. But testing was one of the big things he talked about yesterday. But when he took questions and he admitted afterwards he wasn't supposed to take questions, which always raises the question of, you know, who told the president of the United States he's not allowed to take questions. Uh, the question was, you know, a lot of people have been telling you this uh, thing was going to come at this point. A lot of uh, cases uh, in the colder months. Why weren't you prepared? Is this, uh, you know, is this a failure on your part? And the president uh, gave the most convoluted answer you can imagine. Here's the exchange. On testing, sir, you said we have to do better. But public health officials have been saying for months you need to surge rapid tests for just this moment. Is it a failure that you don't have an adequate amount of tests for everyone to be able to get one if they need one right now? No, it's not. Because COVID is spreading so rapidly, if you notice, it just it just happened almost overnight, just in the last month. It's not a fear. But the alarm bell went off. I don't think anybody anticipated that this was going to be as rapidly spreading as it did. And so the question is, we had a lot of people who have access to tests, who could order them, could, could uh, have their insurance pay for them, et cetera. But it all started, all of a sudden, it was like everybody rushed to the counter. It was a big, big rush. And I knew that was coming. So what I tried to do is meet with the companies and use the uh, Defense Production Act to get a half a billion more tests and figure out how to get them to their homes, get them on the shelves in the store. I mean, so that, that, that's what it's all about. So, Jim, it's not a failure because nobody knew this was coming. Yet he knew the rush on tests was coming but still didn't do anything about it until now. So you could just chuck it up to Joe Biden gobbledygook or a guy who refuses to admit that he just wasn't ready for this. Kids, sometimes grandpa gets confused. Um, look, this is a deeply 
frustrating appearance by the president. And I'm sure he's not happy with the situation the country is in. Uh, unfortunately, this is, you know, a lot of what he criticized President Trump for when he was candidate Biden and not President Biden. And this is you know, the, the whole message for what he was saying and doing was like, oh, I'm going to be I'm going to be better. The grownups are back in charge. The adults are back in town. And unfortunately, uh, the adults, the grownups, the people who keep patting themselves on the back, America is back, you know, all that kind of stuff. They are uh, unfortunately not much better, or in fact, in some cases, arguably worse than the uh, folks they replaced. The, the, we have, as I laid out in yesterday's morning, Joel, um, in September, the CDC actually put out a notice to all medical providers and look, there's a shortage of COVID-19 tests right now. Please be careful and, and be you know, uh, use your supplies sparingly, et cetera, et cetera. The New York Times, ProPublica, Reuters, everybody was writing about the shortage of COVID-19 tests. Anybody who knows anything about upper respiratory illnesses, know, when do people usually get sick? In winter. That's when flu season is, right? That's when people are spending more time indoors. They're closer together and viruses spread more quickly from one to another. Anybody with eyes or who paid any attention to what's going on with this pandemic was going to say, hmm, you know what? Winter is going to be really bad. The interesting thing is, is that when the weather was really hot and people in the southern states, it was too hot to be outside. People spent more time indoors. That's when the southern states were having the Delta wave. Remember, that was like, you know, oh, oh those darn southern governors. Oh, it's because they got Republican governors. That's why they're, oh, they're all idiots and unvaccinated. That's like, no, no. What it is, is, they're spending more time indoors. They're closer together. The virus spreads quicker. You end up with more sick people. Eventually, more of them end up at the hospital. More of them end up dying. That's kind of the, the way this formula works here. Now it's happening to the northern states. Uh, like it just—it's just bad luck. It just is a thing that happened. We can't—you can't blame blue state governors for what's going on. Now here's the thing: really, you shouldn't be blaming any governors for what's going on. But the circumstance is, uh, you got a really, really hyper contagious uh, uh, variant out there. But the thing is, it's not like the Delta variant wasn't contagious, and it's not like classic COVID nineteen wasn't contagious either. We absolutely should have expected a much higher demand for. Uh, for COVID tests. And as I wrote in the corner earlier today, God, it's just so annoying. Um, so let's say you're having family over for Christmas and you want to have COVID tests to make sure everybody's negative. Boy, that's the most reasonable thing in the world you could ever want to do. And by Bi President Biden, in all of his wisdom, announced that, well, we're going to, you know, if, there's a really simple, just Google COVID tests near me and the site will let you know where you can get a free COVID test. I ended up trying to do that this morning. We've got folks coming over. A couple of them are getting up in years. We want to be on the careful side. We want to make sure none of us are asymptomatic and walking around with the Omicron variant without knowing it. And we decided, I looked every, <laughs> on the site, it gives you a list of uh, Walgreens, a list of CVSs, and a list of other options. Well, the patient first near me only is doing tests if you're symptomatic. They've got a limited supply. That's their way of managing it. I don't begrudge them that at all. Every CVS near me does not have any appointments to get COVID tests done. Every Walgreens near me, and I don't mean like just a handful, I mean like 10 or 15 of them. There are, and that's of course, that's for the ones at their pharmacies. You can't find them on the store shelves of, farm, of your Walmarts or your Targets or your uh, CVSs or your Walgreens right now. You can't find COVID-19 tests. So it's a bit like early on in the pandemic when the Biden administration was, go out and get your, your shots, seniors. And of course, everybody's trying to find an appointment couldn't get an appointment. There just weren't enough shots going around. Now we're in a situation where Biden's going, go out and get yourself tested. There aren't enough tests out there. And you have this Mr. Magoo-like president who's constantly getting blindsided. Oh, we didn't see this coming. Oh, you know, um, This administration is always a day late and a dollar short. It is always trying to play catch up. It is always playing to respond. And when they get called out on it, 
They always insist it's not their fault. No one could have seen it coming and no one could have ever foreseen this. Um, Martha McCallum of Fox News had this, you know, I think very sharp observation where she says, look, uh, yesterday afternoon after Biden's presser where she said, look, how is it we keep getting caught off guard? Omicron started in November and was scary enough for us to block travel from South Africa, but we didn't know to ramp up the supply of testing. You know, no one anticipated this. It came out of nowhere. It's exactly what the administration had said in Afghanistan. And I responded, you know, no one saw inflation coming. No one saw the supply chain crisis coming. No one saw the labor shortage coming. No one saw the surge of migrants at the border coming. It's excuse after excuse from this presidency. And it's just so annoying. Hope you're happy, America. <laughs> Two thoughts as we exit on this one, Jim. First of all is uh, no one could see this coming. The I just read about it in the paper myself uh, equivalent in the Biden administration. <laughs> Good one. It's right up there with every statement from Barack Obama comes with an expiration date. I need some <laughs> succinct way of saying you know, if, if Joe Biden couldn't see it coming, then no one could see it coming. <laughs> and the other thing is, you know, you got the president on these live public statements. Of course, he's, you know, he's just reading a prepared speech. Do you feel like somewhere in the West Wing of the White House while this is happening, like Jen Psaki and Kate Bedingfield and Ron Klain are all huddled around a monitor? And they're like, OK, OK, he's about ready to ready to finish up the speech. And then he finally does. And all of them are saying, go, go, go. And then he, he takes the <laughs> He takes the question. And they're all like, oh, no, we're going to have to clean all of this up. It's, it's like you're watching the Jet games. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, go, 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 go. Oh, uh, uh, how could you do that? What were you thinking? Oh, we were so close. Oh, that's my man. Sunday afternoons, folks. <laughs> On that note, Jim, have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Always very grateful. Thank you so much. Keep them coming, those five-star ratings and the kind reviews. Get us on your home devices. Just say, play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us again on Thursday for the Three Martini Lunch. Hi, this is Greg Corumbus, and I'm here with Dr. Mike Fulgens, the president of Universal Coin and Bullion. He was recently named the 2021 Dealer of the Year by the American Numismatic Association. Mike, let's talk counterfeiting. The Mint has recently released newly designed gold and silver coins that are becoming popular, which means there's a pretty good chance some folks in China or elsewhere will try to counterfeit them. How can consumers protect themselves? Well, we do have newly designed gold bullion and silver bullion coins by the U.S. Mint. They redesigned the reverses of the American Gold Eagle and American Silver Eagle. And you need to deal with a reputable dealer, one that's received awards like we have for Best Dealer Publications or Dealer of the Year by organizations like the American Numismatic Association or the Numismatic Literary Guild. And you want to make sure that that dealer has the expertise and the business sense to check prices and to make sure you get the right quality at the right price. Finding the right dealer is the key. In this rising gold and silver market, where I see it increasing 10 to 30% in the next year due to the increasing debt in this country and increasing inflation, it's the right time to buy gold. Dr. Mike Fulgens is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. Contact Mike and his team of professionals at Universal Coin and Bullion to own your gold and silver coins now. Call 1-800-UCB-GOLD.